Getting sober requires a lot more than mind over matter, a lot more than willpower. It's about leveraging the support around you. People in recovery typically need a mix of medical help, emotional support, and changes in lifestyle to manage their addiction, not just mental determination. As both a therapist and someone embracing the recovery lifestyle, there's one tool I always recommend to people needing extra accountability, Soberlink. Soberlink is a high-tech breath analyzer system designed to help you get and stay sober. And here's why I love it. You'll test the same day every day, eliminating testing anxiety. Friends and family receive instant test results, helping you rebuild trust and preventing relapse. Accountability is a part of that, and it's something to really be embraced. Devices have built-in facial recognition, so your support circle knows you're testing, and tamper-resistant sensors flag any attempts at trying to beat the system, so your sobriety is never questioned. So let 2024 be your best year yet. Visit Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M to sign up and receive $50 off your device. That's Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M. And let accountability be your guide. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. My name is Dwayne Osterlin. I'm your host, and we are on to another episode. Today, our guest is Tom Fiegel, and he's going to talk about his own recovery story, but he is also going to talk about the psychedelic ibogaine and how that psychedelic can help us move beyond our trauma, beyond our locked experience to free us to be able to start a a new life beyond addiction and beyond trauma. So he's going to answer some of the questions about ibogaine and what it is and how it's derived and how it works in the brain to be able to set up that person for success, especially if they're struggling with opioid addiction or deep trauma. And what's really exciting about this too is he's going to talk about how his own entrepreneurial spirit helped him create a place for individuals who are struggling who can use Ibocaine to overcome addiction and trauma and live their best life. But before we start, I really appreciate all the reviews out there for the Addicted Mind podcast. I read them. They mean a lot to me. So thank you for writing a review on iTunes and taking the time to do that. If you haven't done it and you're enjoying the podcast, please do. It really does help people find the podcast and help them in their own suffering and in their own pain find a resource that works for them. So thank you to everyone who's done that. I really appreciate it. And join our Facebook group. Just go to Facebook, type in the Addictive Mind Podcast, click join and continue the conversation online. All right, let's go ahead and start this episode. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Addicted Mind Podcast. My guest today is Tom Fiegel, and we are going to talk about ibogaine treatment, which is a psychedelic for addiction. And this is something I am not familiar with at all. So I'm going to be asking a lot of different questions about it. I really want to understand it. And Tom, I'm excited to to have you on and tell us a little bit about you and introduce yourself and, and we'll jump into it. Sure. Dwayne, thank you so much for inviting me to participate and for making the time and what you do, because I know from experience that a well-trained, experienced therapist 
who really understands addiction and the struggle of recovery and what that's like can truly change not only one per person's life, but many people's lives through them. So I appreciate being Thank here you. very much. Thank it's you. Thank you. Appreciate you saying that. So let, let's jump in. Let's let's hear about you and how sure. did you get into this work first? How did you start this process? Sure. So I'm an entrepreneur. I'm, uh, you know, I spent years as a business strategy uh, consultant working for some very big professional services firms. And a lot of that time, I was an active alcoholic. And I grew up in a family of a lot, fifth child of five, Irish Catholic, and a lot of hard drinking, a lot of hard work. And, you know, went through, was, as a child, went through a lot of um, uh, family of origin trauma. Right. Started uh, drinking and using very early because I was kind of the dumpster of my older siblings, emerging chemical dependency in a household that was just chaos. It wasn't for about 30 years that I, until I realized that I had a problem, that I admitted I had a problem. Right. Uh, and it wasn't, it wasn't easy to admit and it wasn't easy to commence recovery. But when I did, I went through a 12-step program, traditional 12-step right. program, and just really did what they said, and, and it, it worked profoundly well. And it, my career really blossomed, right? So I've worked professionally on both sides of recovery. Uh -huh. um, in late 2019, I started seeing sort of signals of a cultural trends, individualized wellness, you know, some regulatory changes and cultural right. acceptance of the use of alternative healing modalities that included psychedelic assisted therapy. And I also met some people who had gone through recovery in a very different way than I had. Right. And I, I, I learned a lot about how a different approach could be utilized. And I got very curious about that and focused on what would need to be true for a robust residential treatment facility to exist that combined all of the attributes uh, or many of the attributes of conventional treatment. drug and alcohol rehabilitation right. with the medical use, medical safe use of psychedelics. And I did a lot of research into that and found that there's actually one psychedelic that is conventionally used to overcome first opioid addiction. And then I learned it was oftentimes used in other types of addiction called Ibogaine. Right. Okay. So you experienced this yourself. You went into recovery. You found that alcohol was uh, not really good for you. Was it wasn't really helping your life at, at some point, obviously. I came to believe I came to believe I have an allergy. You know, and I didn't know I was allergic. It's sort of like, you know, I have a child, I have uh, children. One of them's allergic to peanuts, right? He's known he's been allergic to peanuts his whole life. When he goes to a restaurant, he says, I'm allergic to peanuts. Don't give me anything right. with peanuts. I thought that alcohol, the way my parents used it, the way other people used it, worked for me the way it was working for them. I didn't understand that it was having a different reaction for me and I was using it in a different way. It took catastrophic events for me to really begin to consider like, hey, when I take these substances, 
I behave and react differently than everyone else. And that realization really gave me the opportunity to make a commitment to say, don't consume things that are you know, going to cause that type of right. reaction. I'm also allergic to penicillin, by the way, and I don't take penicillin. Right. right. But when I go to a restaurant, someone says, hey, do you want a cocktail? You know, a lot of people that were in my situation uh, almost 17 years ago, they don't think, oh, I don't drink because, because I have an allergy or it reacts differently to me. They think I don't get to drink. Right. Whereas I've come over 17 years to understand that it just doesn't work for me. I, you know, it doesn't, it does not work yeah. for me. So anyway, that experience as combined with my entrepreneurial business strategy, training and innovation in particular gave me the idea that really there's about two and a half million people will go to a rehab as we got rehab in the United States this right. year. And the statistical probability of success is a debated somewhere around single digit percentage for many of right. them. Right. Which is kind of alarming when you hear that number. It's kind of like, oh my gosh, it's yeah. like we need something different. We need something more. We need to change anything. I, I want to go back really quick before we get into that. Sure. But just a question I was curious yeah. about is how did mm -hmm. your entrepreneurial spirit kind of influence your own recovery and, and help you through that process? Because I, I see that a lot. I interview a lot of entrepreneurs. They come onto the podcast. They write books. They do a lot of things. I'm always curious about that. I, I consider myself an entrepreneur in my own way and have started several businesses. And there's a, there's a mindset there. And I, I'm curious about that part. Well, it's a great question. It's a really interesting question. Thank you. I haven't thought of that before. But what I would say is, you know, there's a lot of entrepreneurs. There's a very small number of successful entrepreneurs. There's a lot of startup ventures. There's very few startup ventures that are successful and sustainable. And what I'm trained to do through my professional training and client work, consulting work um, at some very big firms is to really understand how do you de-risk a, a, a new venture so that contributed to my intention of being successful in my family, my relationships, my life, because what, what I was doing was not sustainable. Right. It was by, it was a failure. It would have been a spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, increasingly physically bankrupt venture. Right. So an ability to be able to say, this isn't working. I can see it. It's not working. Right. And I have right. to do something different because I can see it. How to avoid that outcome, right? And so for me, I would say I'm, you know, a lot of long-term addicts, people who, who, who live with addiction and have not uh, had the catastrophic problems that can come, they might have an addictive behavior, but they're still okay. Things aren't working. We're resilient. Right. We are creative. It takes it's a lot of work to maintain that type of lifestyle of multiple realities and the half or no truths and, and and grueling physical experience. So we have to work hard to maintain that. And I think 
as a professional, I understand that too. I don't want to get up at six o'clock in the morning every morning, but I have to because I want to get stuff done. I want to deliver service. I want to deliver value and address challenges. And so there is a relationship between my self-discipline, maladaptive uh, self-discipline in active addiction after recovery. I know what it's like to be tired. I know what it's like to, you know, communicate clearly my intention and my commitment. And I would say, most importantly, I've learned to listen. I've really learned to listen because I can't just listen with my ears to a client or to a customer or to a guest. I have to really empathize because they don't always know what they need. And in de-risking a venture, oftentimes the biggest failure is give people what they say they want or need rather than what they truly want or need. You know, I'll give you an example. The iPhone came out 10 years after the iPhone uh, was invented and popularized by Nokia and, and Blackberry and others. 10 years. And, and now they are the number one dominant, not, not only the number one phone, but they have much more market share, much more revenue, much more loyalty. So it's not the first person to market. It's the person who gets it right. Right. And so I, I hear what you're saying. It's it's that that mindset of thinking that helps you see beyond just what's right there on the surface and being able to see it, take that clinical, critical, I don't know if critical is the right way, but really thoughtful eye to the situation and, 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 and apply it because you're seeing not just the surface, but you're really being able to look deeper inward into the whole situation and kind of I guess, kind of step out and, and see this bigger picture and then adapt to it and, and make those changes. And I think that really does help anybody in recovery because it's, a, and it's an insight that you nurture and a mindset that you, you grow. So going back to the treatment industry that has not this great rate of success and starting to say, okay, you know, there's something different here that we can offer. There's something more there's something more that people need, right. in my opinion. So as someone who has been in recovery and has been able to have success in my relationships, a sense of self-esteem, a, send, a real sense of, a sense of spiritual practice and development and feel like that lifestyle is not only better, right. but really aligned with a sense of purpose... I look at the conventional recovery industry, if you will, and say, can't we do better than that? And and what would it take? Could we build a platform that includes uh, technology, that includes residential, that includes medical, that includes psychotherapeutic engagement and aftercare, acute and long-term aftercare? Could we build that? and use innovation, real innovation. So that's a big question, right, that I have to analyze the evidence of. Then I would say that in 2021, so I started thinking about that in 2019. By 2021, I thought there was the the promise, but I saw an announcement by the Centers for Disease Control, 
And it said for the first time in U.S. history, over 100,000 people will have died this year of fatal yeah. overdose, chemical overdose, and that it was rising. And I thought this is in, – in some ways it's not just a entrepreneurial academic exercise. This is a moral yeah. Obligation. If we, if, and so I had met doctors, I had met shamans, I had met providers of, of psychedelic assisted therapies, but they all had a different perspective on what they were doing, why they were doing it that way, and what the outcome was. And I'm a much more analytical, evidentiary based kind of right. planner. And, and so, I thought, well, if they're, what they're saying is true, if the observational research done by people like Thomas Kingsley Brown and others is true, that they're seeing these high double-digit percentages of success rates in, in interrupting chemical dependency for the commencement of rigorous recovery, why don't we do that? And so that's really where I started. It was that news article that caused me to say, this isn't just a venture. It has to, if we're going to do it, it has to happen right, now. Right, yeah. And then I started recruiting doctors, recruiting therapists, recruiting lawyers to make sure that what we were doing was safe, effective, legal in Mexico, where I am now. Uh, but m most importantly, that it had the attributes of conventional recovery with the innovation of psychedelic assistance. Right. No, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, you're seeing these, and the research is bearing that out with some of these psychedelics. It's some of the research, you know, around PTSD and MDMA. It's, it's, it's like, wow. I mean, it would almost be like if you didn't provide that for someone who's suffering, that's kind of, it's kind of crazy, not right. Because it's it could work it and it could it really is. help these people. That's right. And people say it works. The science says it works. It's happening very rapidly. We have to be yeah. very selective about looking for evidence that is peer-reviewed, that is grounded in the sort of conventional signals of evidence-based research. But it's there. There was one last sort of motivating factor, which was... I watched, I started hearing about, uh, you've seen the film, maybe uh, yeah. Dope Sick. Uh, you've, you've heard about, and I started seeing news articles about what appeared to me to be, on some level, a intentional manipulation of known facts of, by a company called Purdue Pharma and the organized, systematic uh, suppression of evidence of addictive reaction to a drug called yeah. Oxycontin and, and a massive distribution simultaneously all over the United States. And I, no one could avoid that news. People were using heroin as a result of being prescribed a drug called Oxycontin because they couldn't get it anymore or they couldn't afford it anymore. And I was like, I don't like cynicism, yeah. but it's really hard to ignore the, the, the news articles. And then, of course, what happened? Huge yeah. settlements. And it reminded me of big tobacco. It reminded me of the stories I had heard of like tobacco executives testifying before the government, before Congress or the Senate saying, 
oh, it's not addictive, when in fact they knew right. it was. Or claiming they didn't market to kids when they put cartoon-esque characters on their products. Yeah, choosing so the research on. that fits their like, fits their agenda, their ability to sell this drug, the ability to make billions of dollars, is it's awful. Right. So those three things. One, the evidence seemed to suggest that, one, I'm in recovery and my life got better. Two, I'm a trained business strategy professional. Three, the science seems to suggest it's working. I met those people. They validated it through their own experience. Four, people are sick and dying faster. It was an yeah. epidemic of overdose. And finally, the introduction of yeah. fentanyl. I was like, oh, my God. Now every drug is tainted, yeah. potentially, and it's much more fatal faster. So I was like, we have to do something. How can we not, how can we, how can we ignore this evidence and not commit to providing the innovation yeah, that works? Absolutely. You know, you see that out there and it is kind of hard not to do anything when you, when you start to lay it all out there and you see it happening. This, uh, this epidemic hit me in the face just a, a couple months ago. I was coming home on a, from a family trip and we pulled off the side of the road to go get gas. And on the side of the road right there was a man. Odin, I think probably on fentanyl, that I ended up having to give CPR to and uh, Narcan yeah. to bring him back. And it was, uh, I, I'm just like, I'm in the middle of a road trip and here in a, in a public space is a person, Odin. And it just like, and it's just was, it's, it's mind boggling. I see that. And I, I, and it was just completely overwhelming. I, I, so it's just like when you say that, it brings that memory back to me, like how like it's yeah. it's right there in front of us. And doing this work yeah. is is so incredibly important and finding the solutions to it, understanding the human brain and being able to look beyond just the status quo of what we've done and, and go farther and say, there's there's more we can do. There's more knowledge we have. We know more about the brain than ever. These things can happen. We can help people get out of their trauma get out of their addiction and and live a really wonderful, productive, rewarding life. So anyway, all right, that's my soapbox. So <laughs> right. that's, thanks for your soapbox. I, I'm sorry, for, that must have been very traumatic. Oh, it was. Uh, for you, I hope that person survived and, and I hope they are able to, to, to heal. But, you know, going back to beyond the residential treatment center that I'm in right now here in Cancun, Mexico, I have a person in my family who was an opioid addict as a result of a prescription for a dental procedure. They started with a doctor. They responded very differently. They needed more. They needed more. They couldn't get it. The only way to maintain that habit was to go to the streets. They ended up going to several, somewhere around eight conventional rehabilitation centers hundreds of thousands of dollars, did what they said, participated in the programs as best they could. And eventually when they would be out and about the stressors of life and relationships and jobs and money and self-esteem, there was a physiological reaction. And that's, that's not 100% the case, but it is very, very common. They yeah. relapsed and they relapsed hard. A friend of theirs said, have you heard of Ibogaine? 
Ibogaine is a psychedelic plant medicine that comes from a shrub from the country of Gabon in West Africa. It has been used since the 70s, sort of underground, as a way of interrupting opiate dependence in particular. Try that. The person in my family went to Mexico. Last house on the block. Nothing else was working. Went to Mexico, tried this medication in a so-called facility. The, The plant medicine within... 12 hours totally removed all physical cravings, all de- sense of dependency, all desire to use for the first time in wow. years. But the place that it happened in was ho- extremely toxic, had no medical infrastructure, no psychotherapy, no nutritional guidance, no preparation, and no aftercare. And I made a promise to them that if I was ever able to, I would build the place they wow. should have gone. And that's where we wow. are today. That is an amazing story. And what what passion. I can feel your, your passion for that. And that's 13, 13 years ago that they had that experience. Got an MBA, got married, had kids, started companies, uh, wrote about that experience on, in blogs and, and as a contributor to various publications People would contact them and say, where should I go? Your story is so compelling. Where should I go? Where can I send my child, my spouse, my family member, my friend? And they would, the person in my family would have to say, yeah, I don't know. I don't think you should go to the place that I went. So we built that. That's amazing. And it it really shows both sides of those equations of, you know, people really, really trying to get help. I mean, eight treatment centers doing the last ditch thing that, you know, is not in the recommended at this time, at that time, recommended thing to do. It's like, you don't know what's going on, whatever. But the desperation, it shows you how a person struggling with addiction wants out so bad. Like, you know, it's yeah. like, oh my gosh. And then being able to find the other side. Yes. So let's let's jump into Ibogaine. It comes from the shrub. Please. Do we know how it works in the brain? What's the research showing us about this? Do we know how this impacts the brain so that a person starts to lose that addictive process? We do. So it is a, it's administered orally in a capsule. We, so the, the plant is, is the aboga plant. Aboga um, comes from the root bark of the plant. It is used ceremonially and has been used since time right. immemorial in, in Gabon, specifically for initiation in the transitions of life. So when, before someone gets married, as a young adult becomes formally initiated, initiated by the community into adulthood, many right. rituals around that and all kinds of spiritual practices. This one in the Buiti tribe, is uses, uses iboga ceremonially to help them clean up their past and separate them from their past, see it, not attach to it, use it, but not bring the suffering, the right. pain, the trauma, the mistakes into that next life transition. So this is what they have been doing for a long time. Now, here's the interesting thing. A chemist named Howard Lotsoff, in the 60s, late 60s, 
was like many people, experimenting with drugs and psychedelics. And he was also a heroin addict. And a friend of his said, you've got to try this psychedelic because it lasts a long time and it's incredibly intense. And he, as like many young people at that time did, he tried it. And it was, he had the, what, what they told him he was going to have, a 12-hour sort of movie of his past mm -hmm. without the attachment to the pain and suffering that he had experienced. He saw images. He saw people. He saw remembered experiences that he had forgotten. Uh, he was able to observe them without attaching to them, without feeling re-traumatized. And he was like, wow, this is incredible. But what he didn't expect is that he had no more cravings for the heroin he was taking the day before. And then it lasted the next day and the next day and the next day and the next day. Because ibogaine uh, or, or iboga is metabolized by the liver and it creates a, another chemical called noribogaine. And noribogaine actually stays in the body for a, somewhere around 90 days or longer. So what that does, Dwayne, is it gives the individual the sense of the interruption of the dependency, and it also increases a protein in the brain called GDNF. And GDNF is the, the thing that causes like a toddler, if you watch a toddler and they're, one day they're holding onto a table and they can't really walk yet, and then mm -hmm. they take that step and like they're just ecstatic with their, uh, their sense of achievement they did something this is from gdnf yeah it's from also just a wonderful experience but it's amplified by this protein and so gdnf decreases in, in adults over time and i began and other psychedelics is known to boost it so that's why people after they take ibogaine first step is they don't feel a craving second step is they want to change now they want to heal. They want to, they have a sense of purpose and renewal and so on. So that's when we surround them with the conventional tools of recovery and psychotherapy. And we prepare the plan of action for how do you, how do you actually change those behaviors and sustain that recovery? One last point. So iboga is the natural derivative of this plant. It's actually the bark of the root. Ibogaine is a, a refined hydrochloride that's purified and testable for its purity so that in a medical setting like we have here, the dosage can be extremely right, accurate. Right. By a, we have licensed professional, you know, credentialed addiction medicine MDs and who have also been treating clients with Ibogaine privately for decades right they've they've all done this before but they've never done it together in a setting like this with the right technology and the right infrastructure and the right planning and care continuum or delivery model that would uh, make it consistent reliable and scary. yeah you know thinking about the tribe i think it sounds like it starts to also add the ritual to this process you know all of these things all these things you're doing psychotherapy mm -hmm. I mean, they, they are kind of a ritual. They help us change our perspective. And as I think as human beings, we need ritual. We evolve to have ritual in our life and, and, community. and community. And community 
and support. You know, we say, listen, the, the guests, we have clients, we call them guests here in this facility, which we can, we can provide treatment to about 20, 30 people a month that I've just described. Now, remember there, we say that you're doing the work. You're self-motivated, you're committed, you want this, but you can't get it as you were describing a moment ago. You can't make it work in a convention. You haven't been able to. I'm not saying nobody does. I'm saying many, many, many people find that it, it right. doesn't work for them. So they're self-motivated. The psychedelic plant helps that, amplifies that motivation. It does interrupt the dependency and cravings and withdrawals. No post-acute withdrawal symptoms at all. And then the people here are the supporters, the guides, the trained professionals. Some of them are professional yoga teachers, professional massage therapists, professional qigong therapists, professional, we had a fitness instructor. Most of the people here are licensed credentialed psychotherapists who have experience in psychedelics, licensed credentialed trained addiction medicine specialists, emergency medicine specialists, ICU trained nurses, because we want it to be safer than everything we saw before we started, but we also want it to be effective to achieve longevity and recovery. And ritual and community is crucial. Absolutely. And then, you know, you describe that other part, which I hear with like um, some other psychedelics too, ketamine specifically, that detachment that happens somehow in the brain where we get attached to these old memories that as we recall them or as we have emotions, whatever comes first, they generate all these very painful feelings and they get stuck in that loop and you can't, you can't break it. Or it's very, very hard to break. Like you said, some people are able to do it in different ways, but still it's it's a huge hurdle to get over to be able to like separate that out and see that in the past and not have so much attachment to it that generates that discomfort it, in the body that you have to escape after a while. I mean, we can't sit in pain over so and over true. and over again. We all want out of that pain. So true. It took me... I don't know, over a decade of recovery and therapy, intensive outpatient, literature, inventory, all that stuff before I even found EMDR, right. before I even found somatic, before I even, those were the innovations, you know, that were available to me. No therapist ever said, hey, you have severe physical, emotional, psychological trauma in your childhood. I didn't even see that until right. I'd been... So yeah. for years, and I used the tools that were available to my wonderful therapist, many, you know, psychiatrists, psychotherapists, and I did it and it worked, but it, it, it was super expensive. It took a very long right. time and I was prepared. And I think many people may not be to take full advantage of that. I, you know, I was like the type of person who had been already in recovery for a long time. So what we do with Ibogaine, it, it is naturally derived, but it's purified, it's tested for purity, is we have a, an approach, a delivery model. We call it insight-oriented Ibogaine for a reason. We start with remote therapeutic coaching. So just like this, on a Zoom, a guest is talking to a therapeutic coach, uh, and the goal of that first of five phases 
is to understand, as we say, understand the whole person, expectations, fears, the problem areas in life and aspirations, right? We want to understand them before they even get mm-hmm. here as best we can. Then when they come here, then they engage in daily psychotherapy. No, I began at all. Nutrition, the doctors here are licensed and authorized to prescribe medication if needed to stabilize someone who is in or would otherwise be in post-acute withdrawals of an opioid or alcohol or a stimulant like crystal uh, meth or cocaine. So they're medically stable, but they're in therapy in an environment that's safe long before they do any long days, a week before they do ibogaine. That's the second phase. That's the preparation. And we call it setting your personal psychedelic agenda. Like, what are you going to do when you're in the psychedelic experience? Mm -hmm. What do you want? You ever go to a meeting without an agenda? All over the place. Yeah. You know, it's less satisfying all over the place. So we want them to go in, not with a, a ironclad roadmap, but at least a robust set of intentions. Then they do the ibogaine. It's in a treatment style room. It looks like a, for lack of a better word, a chic or very warm, beautifully designed ICU. Heart monitors, intravenous fluids. Two nurses are present the entire time. The doctors are present. The therapists are present. The person puts on the eye mask and noise-canceling headphones. And for about 12 hours, they have this experience where they they get to relax because they feel safe, medically safe, psychologically safe, emotionally safe, spiritually safe. We built that safety around them for them to feel like they can right. relax and surrender. And then they see experiences of their life. They see experiences of their what, what has become their role, their identity without attachment. Yeah without it defining them anymore. And that 12-hour experience, it feels like about two hours because right. it's psychedelics right. shift time and space. And they're not in this room anymore. They're not watching the clock. Usually about 12 hours, they lift the eye mask up, they take the headphones off and they say, I'm hungry because they fasted mm-hmm. the night before. How long was that? And the nurses have already turned over <laughs> the shift and they're like, it's, it's been 12 hours. And they're like, what? How could that be? They go back to their private room. They are monitored. They rest. The next day, you can see it. You can see it in their eyes. One, they don't want any chemicals. And two, they're just sort of thinking about like, what just happened? How can I have this sense of renewal, the sense of purpose, the sense of intention? I'm going to call my mom right now. We don't give them their phone right Right. away. because Right. Yeah. In the therapist's mind, they're not quite ready. But that third phase, that treatment phase, is really the beginning, not the end, of the aftercare, which we then provide a roadmap, a planning of recovery here. So they leave with you know this type of sign of 90, 120, one-year plan. We celebrate their sobriety date. It was three days before. They leave here with a roadmap that works for them. We don't force them or champion any particular harm reduction. We're for it. 12 step, we love it. You know, what we do is we recognize what's worked for other people and we help them understand why that 
commitment is so important to them. They leave here, Mexico, at beyond. Then they go home or to sober living or to a recovery center. And they have that GDNF in their body. And they're like incredibly motivated. Almost, you know, I didn't realize this, but they go home. Two things often happen. One, they're like, hey, because we check in, our therapists check in with them every right, week. Right. They do alumni program here uh, virtually. They talk with their therapeutic coach weekly. We're really trying to support them. Two things happen. Number one, they say, I want to become mm-hmm. a therapist. <laughs> I want to help people that are in the, that have active addiction. And we're like, great. Do the 90 days. Do, do your you know, stuff. Do your work. Don't, don't go fix your marriage. Don't go try to get your job back yet. Just recover. And then the next thing that happens is a phone rings or an email usually these days, and it's someone in their family. That it's someone in their family that goes, Michael's right. different. Talia's different. They're happy. I, I, we've been struggling. We've been sleeping in shifts for decades. We hate the phone because every time it rings, it means trauma. Yeah. You know, we've yeah. been hypervigilant. You know, what, what happened? And I say they committed to healing. They used a psychedelic innovation in the context of conventional therapeutic engagement and recovery. And they went and did their plan. And then they say, yeah, I want that. Uh, absolutely. And they, have, they see it. This week, we have the third member of the same family wow. coming. So they can see it and they're like, wow, this is a real change. This person has really they shifted. And I want that. I want out of my own suffering and my own pain and hurt. And I see that there's a way out. And sometimes I didn't even know I was resigned to my suffering. And now I see that there's hope and possibility and change and an amazing story and and setting up all the framework. Yeah, we treat, it seems, we treat three different types of patient population, guest populations. Number one, obviously, chemical dependency. Ibogaine is not known to work for nicotine for some reason, but given the types of people we're working with, the failure to recover can be a life or death uh, situation. Chemical dependency, severe depression, severe anxiety, severe PTSD. There's a wonderful Time Magazine article about a guy named Marcus Capone, who was a Navy SEAL, who went to many, many tours of duty in the Middle East and came back suffering extremely from PTSD. 22 people, 22 military veterans suffering from PTSD will commit suicide today. They go to the VA, they use conventional treatment, they use pharmaceuticals, and they don't feel relief. They don't feel satisfied. Marcus's story in Time Magazine is remarkable because first, another Navy SEAL had to reach out to him and say, you don't have to live that way. I I have a way that I did and it worked. He did Ibogaine. There's a beautiful story of his wife seeing him get off the plane and knowing instantly just by looking at him, that was the guy I married. Yeah. That's the guy I married. So we treat chemical dependency, severe depression, anxiety, and PTSD. That's one group. Then there's another group that is emerging, more people, and they haven't yet declared themselves addicted. Something in their life isn't working. 
food, internet, pornography, relationships, grief, right. loss, loss of a job, whatever it might be, they're not healed. Yeah. They're using something malad in, in a maladaptive way to overcome suffering. These people have not declared themselves like severely addicted on their last sort of legs or whatever, but they need to radically shift the relationship to their phone, right. to media, to a person, their ex, whatever it is. And we love those people too. We just have a different delivery model, a different way of engaging. Ibogaine really does reset the relationship with the stimulus that's no longer serving. Right. Absolutely. So interesting. It is. It's, it's fascinating to see this. So we're coming up on our time. So I'd like to ask one question before we end the podcast. And if someone is out there suffering in pain and you could tell them one thing, what would you want to say to them? What you're experiencing is real. Many people have come before you and recovered. I'm one of them. And you deserve it. You deserve to heal because you can put all that pain to work and you can help someone who will come after you. Never give up. Never give up. Never give up. Thank you so much. You're welcome. How can people find you if they want more information about this? How can they sure. how can they find you? Well, you know, we find everything almost on the internet these days. So, you know, we've done YouTube videos with people like Gabor Mate, who's an addiction specialist and a site and MD who did Ibogaine. You can find that on YouTube, B-E-O-N-D, addiction treatment on YouTube. Our website, beond.us or .us, so the reason beyond us, beyond our story, beyond our suffering is the healing, not the treatment, is the healing and the service. Social media, B-E-O-N-D, those are the normal ways of, of finding out about stuff. Do your research. We believe we've got the best, the most experienced, committed addiction medicine specialist, you can talk to them. They'll, you know, look, Dwayne, many people don't understand Ibogaine. One of the things we do is yeah. education. Like, we want you to make the best decision you can, whether you work with us or not. We'll tell you the truth. We'll tell you the truth about safety, about preparation, about integration, about success rates, etc. You know, talk to our doctors by phone, just like this on Zoom. They'll tell you the truth about the research the cases that they've treated, you can talk to our clients. There's videos of them. One guy who left here, and I'll stop, 80 rehabs Wow. he went to by the time he was in his mid-30s, extremely addicted to fentanyl and crystal meth. He left here. His video is on our website. Michael committed to his purpose in life. And it's just incredible. We see it every day. We see it every day. And there's, there's a lot of people today, 273 people will die of an overdose. And we believe that's 273 too many. And that number doesn't even count the collateral damage of the families that will live that, with that suffering for the rest of their life. 
So find us, find someone. We'd love to help if we can. The only requirement for coming to beyond, the only times that we really have a hard time accepting a client is one, if they're not really motivated. Yeah. They don't want to come. They're doing it for someone else. Or there's some medical yeah. risk. And, we, you know, we will help you find a solution if we can, even if it's Thank not you, here. Tom, so much for sharing your story, sharing your wisdom and, and doing the work that you're doing. Thank you for coming on to the Addicted Mind podcast. I totally appreciate it. Thank you. Such an honor and a privilege. Thank you for me, for having me here and for the invitation, Dwayne. Thanks for your work too. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Addicted Mind podcast. As usual, all the show notes will be at theaddictedmind.com. So check that out. And if you're enjoying this episode, please share it with a friend or write a review in iTunes and join our Facebook community. Just go to Facebook, type in the Addicted Mind podcast, click join and continue the conversation online. All right, everyone. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. And I will talk to you on the next episode. It's easy to blame ourselves for our struggles with alcohol. We see people around us being able to control their drinking without any consequences, yet no matter what we try, we can't seem to figure it out for ourselves. My name is Jillian Teets, and I am the host of the Sober Powered Podcast, where I use my biochemistry background to explain the latest research in addiction and help you understand both why you drink the way you do and how to develop the skills and mindset you need to find freedom from alcohol. I discuss topics like why we think about our drinking drinking 24-7, why we have no off switch, and why we crave alcohol. If you're struggling with your drinking or you know someone who is, then I hope that you will check out the Sober Powered Podcast. New episodes every Friday. See you there.